In this episode, we wait out there with Josh Stewart from southwestern Pennsylvania. Josh is a small stream junkie who loves targeting big trout. We discuss techniques for discovering remote waters that might hold these trophy fish and the tactics he uses for hooking up and landing them. Welcome to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Shemchuk. At Wade Out There, we believe fly fishing is special, but not elite, and that anyone can become a great fly fisher if they are willing to go, learn, and teach. Join me as I talk with other fly fishermen and women about their unique journeys into fly fishing, the rivers they fish, and the tactics and philosophies they practice. For those who can never leave the river in their hearts, this podcast is dedicated to helping you make the memories that keep us all coming back to wait out there. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. You've come highly recommended. I don't know. Oh, wow. You... Yeah, that's uh, sounds well, good. <laughs> yeah, I heard about you from uh, Amanda Jensen. Uh, and I don't know if you know her or, um, yeah, we're Instagram friends. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram. We've chatted back and forth a few times about some fishing tactics and stuff. So yeah, good person person and good fisherman. So for sure. Yeah, for sure. I had her on the podcast and she said, you should talk to Josh. He would be a really good guest. And I said, okay, let me check it out. And I, I looked you up and, uh, she said he likes to target small, uh, big fish and small streams. Yeah. Okay. Amanda. Thanks. Cool. And I, more I looked at you, your, uh, your, uh, content, the more I realized, wow, he really does like to do that. <laughs> and yeah. I, I saw your, um, YouTube channel and you got a movie on there chasing a stream, which is super cool. Uh, and it got me so excited, especially I saw the bicycle there uh, yeah. with the small stream. And I was like, no way no way that is so small what is this guy doing so yeah it's crazy yeah i'm excited to talk to you about all that stuff um and your excitement is is contagious um i think once we get started talking about that we'll probably be on that topic for the rest of the show hey that's fine (laughs) by me that's my passion too so i thought maybe before we started getting into that you could tell us a little bit about uh how you got started in fly fishing and and where the, the journey began for you Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in Southwestern Pennsylvania. It's pretty industrialized here and a lot of uh, old remnants from coal mines. So our streams suffer pretty bad from AMD pollution from just different various industries and also thermal issues. It gets kind of warm in this part of PA. So, um, I grew up mostly fishing, put and take fisheries, the fish commission, PA fish and boat commission stock the streams. Everyone goes and fishes them on the opening day, keeps their limit like that sort of thing. Yeah. And I remember it was probably about five years ago now being anchored out in the river down the road from my house here. It's, um, Yakagani river and just sitting there waiting for people to bring fish in buckets. And it just, something about that didn't feel right. You know, it's <laughs> anchored out with 20 other boats there waiting. So, well, um, I, yeah, I can understand that. I live, I live in Missouri, and we have a similar thing on opening day down here. I don't know yeah. if you've seen pictures, but I, yeah. I have not participated. But it sounds like kind of a similar thing. It's more of a tradition than a sport, you know. Everyone kind of gets out and drinks exactly. the night before, so uh, it just didn't feel right. I was, I felt like I was missing something. Um, a guy from work actually asked if I wanted to go drive around an hour away and fish uh, a tailwater with them. And so we drive down this really nice back road, pretty scenery. We get there. There's no other anglers. Uh, first couple casts, we catch two 20-inch trout. So that kind of showed me that there was more out there than just the put-and-take fisheries. And okay. it kind of started to grow from there. And my neighbor was getting into fly fishing at the time. And we talked about fishing the green drake hatch in central Pennsylvania. So we kind of went, we went and fished a little Juniata and Penn's Creek and that hooked me on fly fishing. I was, I pretty much sold all my spinning rods, never fished those other fisheries again, just kind of chasing wild trout. So that's cool. Yeah. And you have to, you have to travel a bit to do that. Is that right? Yeah. You have to travel. My nearest good, what I would call a good wild trout stream is two hours from my house. Two hours. Have you been fly? So you were 
fishing from an early age, but then fly fishing kind of later on and then really getting into the wild trout even more recent. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Some of my earliest memories were trout fishing, but it was sort of, you know, a different type of game. Um, it's been about five years now for me fly fishing. I have a similar thing. Uh, very early on, I, I, I didn't get into fly fishing till I was in school. That was about 20 years ago. So, um, trout stew. Does that mean anything yep. or is it just a cool name? No, it's just kind of a cool name. One of my friends <laughs> kind of threw it at me. He's like, hey, this is where good. He's like, he was going to make his blog name that. And he's like, oh, it's more fitting for your last name. So he kind of threw it at me. And I thought about it for a while. And I'm like, yeah, kind of like that. Trout That's Stew. Stuff. Trout Stew. Yeah. yeah yep. Okay. Very cool. So I wrote a blog post about uh, driving. I've, I've always had to drive a far distance, it seems like, to get to a trout stream. Uh, it's called embracing the embrace the drive. So I wanted to talk about exploring new waters first. Cause you said you're passionate about that as well. Yeah. I already asked you twice where your home waters were and you already told me, so I know you're in Pennsylvania now, but you, you travel just around Pennsylvania or all over there or mostly Pennsylvania, but I do fish Maryland and West Virginia as well. When I have time to get down there, they're actually not terribly far from my place. I have a decent stream in Maryland, the Savage river. It's probably two hours from my house, hour and 45 minutes. So I do fish a little bit in other States too, but I mostly target Pennsylvania. Okay. Is that why you describe yourself? Uh, you told me that you're more of a nomadic. Yeah. Fisherman. Nomadic fisherman. Yeah. Pennsylvania is my home water. So that's cool. Um, yeah. I can relate to that for sure. Um, I think that not living in the heart of fly fishing is, is probably not as, um, uncommon as people think. And I think sometimes people maybe are hesitant to get into fly fishing because they think, well, I don't live super close to a trout stream, so that's just not something that I can get into. And I, I meet more and more people like you, like myself, that have kind of, you know, I've had to drive a long ways to get to trout a lot of times. And two hours is, that's a, that's that's not nothing, you know what I mean? Two, yeah, I, nothing, yeah. Three. I'll drive four, up to four hours for a day trip one yeah. way. One way. Okay, cool. So let me ask you this. What's your limit on how far you'll do a day trip? Four hours. Yes. Okay. I've, that's I've done I a do. five hour day trip before one way, <laughs> a 10 hour round trip, and it's not fun. The My way limit. there is you're excited. You know, you're, you got that excitement to check out the stream and and catch big fish, but the drive home is not so fun. That's exactly right. Yeah. I never minded the drive. I did I did four hours when I lived in Vegas into Southwest Utah and it was sometimes three and a half, four, but you know, I needed to get gas and, um, yeah, my limit was the, I, if I was, I needed to be fishing on the river as much as I was sitting in the car. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good balance there. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> that was my equation. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so if I'm driving, three hours up, three hours back. I need at least six hours on the water. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, do you have any, uh, any tips for people that do have to travel or anything like that that you do to help pass the time or make it go faster? Or do you, how did you kind of get to the place where you found all these things? Cause they're not close by. Was it just the internet? Yeah. The internet, I guess maybe talking to people from other places and them asking me to come and fish and just seeing how good other parts of PA were. Um, and then, I guess it just kind of grew from there. I uh, kind of got almost an obsession about it now, just mapping streams. Like if I'm on break at work or just sitting at home bored, I open my Google Maps up and I start mapping streams. You're dropping the pins. Dropping the pins? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so some of the things that I'm looking for, I guess, with the smaller streams are um, just kind of, I'll get on the topo maps or a terrain style map and, and look for the blue lines. And they're easier to see that way because if you look at a satellite map, a lot of the small streams are covered by tree canopies. You can't see them too well. So I'll do that first, and then I'll switch over to satellite maps, look for deeper holes, um, log jams, structure, something that's going to hold a big fish. Um, so how do you get to those? Is that just Google Maps has all that at your fingertips, or do you have special apps that you use? Or? I'll, use I'll bounce between maybe three different things. So the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission has an interactive map on their site that shows you Class A, Class B, and just wild trout repo streams. 
So I'll kind of use that as a baseline. It's not necessarily something that I always use because I've found streams that aren't even on that list that are great trout right. fisheries and full of big trout. But right. so I'll kind of use that as a baseline to find some areas that have good wild trout populations. Then I'll bounce off of Google Maps and I'll start looking for those things that I mentioned. Um, big bends and creeks. That's going to give you your undercuts. Um, log jams. Tree okay. canopies are good. Basically, uh, for these fish to get this big, they're teenagers probably. So you need an area where they could um, not be taken out by predators. Other like catch and keep anglers. Things like that. Okay. So it's so a lot of map study. Yeah. Yeah. The structure really helps. It gives them a, a hiding place. Okay. Uh, and then I guess another thing I'm looking for in Pennsylvania, it wouldn't be as big of an issue out West, but, um, cold water. So our summers get a little bit hot here and stream temperatures can really heat up. So I'm looking for a stream that maybe comes out of a mountain, has some springs feeding into it, things like that, um, that could hold trout year round so they can continue to grow. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I guess it's a lot of, you're doing a lot of upfront work and then go out and hope that it works. Uh, but how often are you going on like a discovery versus, yeah, I've been here. Are you just kind of whatever you feel like that day? Yeah, it's more so that. I guess I'm getting to the point now where it's more so just going back to places I've already explored. I'm still exploring a little bit, but it's maybe more like 80% going back to fish to places and 20% exploring. Right. So don't leave fish to catch fish. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. What I'll do though, when I'm, when I'm ex going on an exploring mission, I'll, while I'm doing the mapping, I'll pin any potential parking. And another thing that I like to do is pin maybe like three or four different streams in the area because there've been plenty of times where it looks good on the map and you go there and there's just not stream access or just a bust. And then that gives you a few other options. Right. So then before you head out to, you kind of find a place where, you know, you have a couple of options. That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess another thing in Pennsylvania, not all streams are open to public. So I use a, uh, actually a hunting map on Hunt maps to find, um, if there's certain streams that aren't public, I'll maybe look at the landowners and see if they live nearby to potentially gain permission to sections of stream. Okay, that's cool. Um, how often do they let you on? Pretty pretty, pretty often, yeah. But yeah. even if they're like posted, usually if you ask and tell them you're catching release fly fishermen and if you're respectful, they almost always give you access. A lot of lands are posted for hunting, I found out. Oh yeah, no trespassing. Hunters. Yeah, if you go and ask and be respectable, and that's a great point. That you're you're a decent person, and you're catching release, and you respect the land and stuff. They almost always let you fish. Wow, that's a good. Yeah, that's, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I would I wouldn't think of that either. I would just think, ah, well, they don't want me on here. Yeah, and maybe they don't. Get, but. Yeah, a lot of people get deterred by the signs and stuff, but I think if you ask, they'll and you're respectful, they'll let you on. They'll let and you then play. the, go ahead. No, that's all. That's all. I was really. And then the hunting app shows you kind of how you can find out where, how to, how to ask, right? Yeah. It'll show you property owners, where they live, their address. So you can maybe find where their house is at. And yeah, I've done that for hunting for sure. Yeah. Because I grew up hunting out West and, um, you know, Montana and ranches and things. And, uh, when I came to Missouri, I kind of got back into hunting and there's just so, so little public land you know, there's actually quite a bit of conservation areas and stuff, but, um, just around me, those get, first of all, those get really crowded. Um, yeah. So to find private land, I had to do that as well. Cause it's like you're, you're hunting these little patches, you know, it's not yeah. bought in stock. You're not, Yeah. I don't know how yep. much you, you said you hunt as well, right? It's the same here in Southwestern Pennsylvania. There's nearly no public land here. So I learned that through hunting. I actually learned how to yeah. do permission and all that through hunting. Yeah. And I'm mostly in a stand or a blind or, or just sitting on the ground when I'm doing it too. Usually. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? I'll try to, uh, get those links in the show notes so people can see and use them. And, uh, yeah, yeah, they're good tools. They're really good tools to get you pre-prepared before you go on the trip. You know, 
I think it's, yeah, I never thought of it as much as in detailed mission planning. We call it mission planning. My old line of work, I used to fly airplanes in the Air Force and we would do a ton of work in mission planning. And we actually used used maps, one to fifties and all that stuff. And, uh, (laughs) and then there was definitely the time where you would show up and this doesn't look like the way I thought it was going to look on the map. Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah, I'll get excited about a stream and go there and it's just not good. (laughs) <laughs> the three exactly. backup options you have the two or three separate streams that you can go and hit that's right plan a plan b plan c yeah I like you're your traveling idea. that far yeah and only being like a weekend warrior basically because yeah. i don't really i can't fish in the evenings with there being no good streams around so right yeah that's that's true um anything else that you want to talk about with uh exploring or getting new streams uh under your belt out there or because all the things that you've said i think have been pretty um i think they're applicable to almost anywhere or lots of different places at least yeah i would say too if you're you know if you're wanting to go for the bigger fish look for areas that are going to be overlooked find the streams that you know everybody fishes and cross those off right completely cross them off. It's really hard to catch big fish in pressured streams. So you want to find something that's maybe just running through a small town that no one would think to fish, um, a remote area that takes longer to walk to, gaining access from these landowners, things like that. Yeah. You basically want to try to go where the people don't. Right. You mentioned earlier, just quick, real quick off topic before we go to the next thing, you mentioned AMD and uh, some of the, mm-hmm. do you, First of all, I don't know what that is. What's AMD? It's acid mine drainage. Okay. So there's a lot of deep mines in Pennsylvania and West, especially West Virginia, and they just seep sulfur and all kind of like acidic things and heavy metals into the streams, and it just makes them a toxic environment for a trout. So fish can't live there. So is that no. part of your exploration as well? You kind of like, yeah, that's too close to something bad, or you or you find that out as you get there, and there's no fish in it. There's a fine line. I found out that there's a really fine line. Fish can survive in those types of streams, and even some of my biggest fish streams have AMD and yeah. and or like um, gray water running into them, things like that. You would never expect trout living there, but they really they're brown trout are pretty resilient. Like right. your brook trout and rainbows will never be able to survive in there. Really? But, um, our streams have been cleaned up a lot in the past 10 years, I would say. When I was young, there was a lot of dead rivers. There was rivers that just held carp and catfish, maybe crayfish. You know? Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool. But that's it, it's came back over recent years with people starting to be mindful of conservation and things like the Clean Water Act and you know whatever factors. But Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I think that's uh, great. All right. You ready to get into targeting big fish and small streams? Yeah. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I'm excited. I think I've, I'm almost. I, I don't think I'm as excited about you as you are. But uh, there's two ways that we can do this. I had uh, plan A was just let you go, just let you go. Or I wrote down all the things on your list. You show me you had a list of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You can run, <laughs> go ahead and run through those. I like that. I like the. I like plan B. Plan yeah, B. I thought that that would be good because when yeah. I was looking through this list, first of all, I was like, this is going to be the best podcast guest ever because how, how prepared is this guy? He's got a whole list of all this stuff. I love then, it. I love talking about trout. I know. because So I could tell that you love talking about it. And then uh, and then everything on this list, I, I thought, this is super interesting to me. I hope that we get to this. So yeah. I want to make sure we cover it all. So Let's do it. All right. Um, I'm glad you said that. Okay. <laughs> so the first thing is uh, attacking weakness. So are you talking about, uh, what are you talking about there when you mean attacking weakness? And if something that I say from the list doesn't exactly jog your memory, right? That's no problem. We can Okay. Yeah. So on. with these bigger brown trout they're they've been around a long time. They've pretty much seen it all, you know, especially in Pennsylvania, it gets a lot of pressure here. I'm, su- I'm sure it's the same on your streams, but they get pounded. Yeah. So they learn over the years, you know, they kind of stay in their hiding spots most of the time. So you got to try to catch them at their weakest moments. Um, Things like higher water, during thunderstorms, um, big events like a cicada hatch, uh, which only really comes around every seven years here. Sorry, maybe it's longer. Seven years, 17 years. But um, sucker. Really? That's like a unique hatch that only happens sometimes? Yeah. And the fish just get stupid. You just throw a a slap a giant cicada dry fly down and you're going to catch every big fish in the stream. 
they can't they can't resist that that amount of protein you know though i've heard of this but how do you so how do you fish that you just got to be a local and then all of a sudden the cicada flies come out and you're like it's happening there's a map yeah there's a map there's different broods of them they come they're like they come in waves like brood five is in 2017 i'm just making numbers up. okay okay but, so you can look at a map kind of plan it out a little bit i did that a few years ago and just caught so many big trout it was stupid <laughs> okay so right. another thing would be sucker spawn i catch a lot of big trout during the sucker spawn which is in um anywhere from say march to even may in some streams okay but so you got all your suckers that will just go to the heads of holes or riffles and lay eggs and i've just walked right up on giant trout and they don't even care you're there you just okay. throw an egg at them and catch them okay your moments like that. Um, I find the Hendrickson hatch here in Pennsylvania to be pretty good. It's our first big hatch of the year. So in the winter, they're kind of scrounging for food a little bit. And that first big hatch comes out and it gets them out of their hiding spots. Okay. I actually catching them in the kitchen. Like, you know, it's hard to get those fish out of their undercuts and log jams. It's kind of their own little safe space. Right. When you catch them out feeding, you have a real chance at them. Okay. So hatches is a big thing. Yep. High water, like you said. Higher water early in the morning, like later at night and even into the night. Yeah. Okay. Muddy water. You mentioned that. Muddy water. Yeah. Uh, muddy water starts to get a little bit tough because it's the vision thing. You got to be able to show them your fly. Okay. So I'll use like bigger black streamers, green, anything like bright or dark. I find dark to be the best. The wearing okay. muddy water. All yeah. right. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's that's fine. Um, just like any time the water's on the rise or on the fall is a little bit better than okay. fishing the chocolate milk. So think about when they are weakest because yeah. normally they're just chilling out, being safe and all that. Yeah, they're hiding in some safe space where okay. you could get them out of there, but it's hard. You know, it's a lot harder. You have to um, yeah, basically cast right on top of their undercut or log jam to try to get them out on a typical day. Okay. And... Um, breaking free. That's the next thing on the list. So yeah, it's, I guess, kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, just kind of getting away from doing the same thing over and over again. It was me fishing the stock streams and for somebody else, it could maybe just be fishing the same two streams all the time. Right. Um, trying something new. Yeah. Yeah. Trying something new. You learn a lot, you know, even if you go and you fail, you turn those failures into lessons. That's where you kind of yeah. Rowan is an angler, you know, I totally agree. And it's funny that, you know, I have probably some of my most, um, poignant memories fly fishing, at least some of them are days. I was not catching any fish doing all the things that I thought I needed to do to catch fish. And then I did something totally different. And then all of a sudden I, I nailed it, whether it was a different fly or different water or different presentation or just, more or less lead on the, you know, with the nymph, like trying new things has definitely helped me grow. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Once you learn something like that, then it's repeatable. Like you yes. can get lucky and catch a big fish, but when you know why you catch that fish, then you got something that's repeatable. So those are, yeah, I find that to be more of a success than catching a 20 inch trout that day. You know, if you learn something new that you can repeat and use. Yeah. How about tight lining? So yeah, tight lining is pretty much essential for fishing these small streams for me, at least, you know, they're a back cast is pretty much something that doesn't exist. You're, um, you're in a tangle, you know, you got log jams, overhangs everywhere. It's hard enough right. just using a nine and a half foot rod or a 10 foot rod. So, um, your casts are more so the Euro nymph style, like a tuck cast. Um, so I'm using a Cortland, Cortland, um, I just think they call it nymphing leader. You're a nymphing leader. So I, I run a, a um, about a 20-foot length of that. And then I'll go to a cider, a tippet ring, and then to a cider, another tippet ring, and then some 3X. Pretty much the smallest line I'll use is 3X for when I'm nymphing. Because you know that if you catch a big fish, you want you don't want to have to worry about the tippet breaking. Yeah, you want to be in control of the fish. Um, yeah. we could get into fighting them, I guess, if you want to, at some point here, and we could talk a little bit about that, but, um, sure. Go ahead with the tight lining though. Like another, just reiterating about that. Another reason why I like to use it is I think that the bigger fish just get used to seeing fly line on the water. 
Really? It, it, you could spook them so easy. All right. So that, that's given you just, it's making it extremely hard for them to see, especially like that Cortland line, it's camouflage. So it just really blends in well. All right. So let me say this back to you so I can understand mm-hmm. it. You got, sure. you got fly line mm-hmm. uh, going to Cortland uh, leader. Yep. Euro nymphing leader material. Yes. Cortland Euro nymphing leader material. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's different than a normal tapered leader. That's right. How is it different? It's just monofilament to okay. put it bluntly, you know, it's just mono. Okay. It's a mono rig basically. Got it. And then, um, and then you've got, a. A ring, a tippet ring, mm-hmm. and then your your cider line. Yeah, it'll be like a little line that's like pink, yellow, something you could see, so you know when you get your strike. Okay, you're so you're just that, watching that cider line to see if it moves weird. That's right, yeah, current. just out of the water. So if it dips or stops or something, that's when you set your hook. And How there's you, no delay there too, so you got you got a good hook set most times. You hook a lot of fit, a lot more fish that way. How do you know? How do you? make sure that your cider is the right depth so that it's not too far underneath or too far above. Do you have, I like to always keep it above. I don't know if it's a superstitious thing. I see guys that let theirs get underneath the water and they seem to catch fish too, but I really don't like to, I guess Um, if it's long enough, you know, if then you've got a, you've got a window of depth that you can fish. Yeah. I change leader. I change tippet length constantly hole by hole. If, If I'm fishing something that's four feet deep, I cut my tippet back a little bit. If I'm fishing something that's 13 feet deep, I'll pull out 15 to 17 feet of tippet material and throw it on there. So the tippet is how you control the depth a little bit more. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So your, your up end part of the rig is kind of static. You're not changing that a lot. You're not changing your Cortland. No, it's usually staying the same. If I know that I'm going to be strictly streamer fishing, which is rare, I will throw on a heavier, like a 20-pound test, whereas okay. when I'm nymphing, I'll use 15-pound test, and that's for your main Euro-nymphing leader. Okay, cool. And this is pretty much, this is standard Euro-nymphing stuff? Or pretty is standard, yeah. There's yeah. lots of literature out there on it that, that could probably explain it a lot better than me, like Trout Bitten or some resource okay. like that, or, or uh, George Daniel. You know, you can look into his books where he really gets into it. Yeah, I was just going to say Trout Bitten, man. That guy, Dominic, his he knows oh, his yeah. zero nymph man. He's just east of me here. Actually, a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a great guy. So is he? Good, good literature for anyone that wanted to get technical. Yeah, definitely. Trout bitten is uh, pretty yeah. cool up. Um. Okay. So tight lining, mm-hmm. euro nymphing type of thing is another thing you do. Yep. Um. You talk about big flies. So you you're you're going for big fish. So you've got big flies. You've got heavy tippet on. Yeah. Um. So. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Big flies. You use big flies. Yeah. Even nymphing, I'm throwing like bigger, um, stone flies. Yeah. Mops. I know you, a lot of people, but you're still fishing. In- atrocities, but- <laughs> no, no, there's no shame here, man. No. Yeah. You'd say what it is. So you're still nymphing them though. You're not like, are you stripping them like streamers or you're just, no, just, yeah. just getting your typical lead, you know? Uh, dead drift type of type of thing with some of the bigger ones you you can strip them a little bit like with those mops i'll jig them a little bit i find right. that that entices a strike a lot yeah um yeah kind of uh make sure they're heavy i'm getting down as deep as you can um so you got a heavy fly with um split shot or are you trying to avoid split shot i try to avoid split shot but i will use it what i like to use a lot actually sort of unconventional i throw on some of that tungsten putty have you ever seen that it's like a mallard i've seen it i was fishing in colorado once with this guy uh chris hansen and yeah i know that is you he he had it and because i asked him that question i'm like you know it the 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 river we're fishing and I've seen it many times, you know, it goes up, it's deep, it's shallow. And he's like, and I, and it's just annoying. I have to take those split shot off. Some of them have wings on the backs sort of, you know, but yeah. Yeah. It's the way to go. I mean, I was fishing with one of my friends on uh, the Savage river. It's really technical. It's like one yeah. big pocket water river. So you almost have to, you're a nymph there. You're not going to get a good drift. So he's yeah, just using your traditional Euro flies and they're heavy, but the water's up a little bit. Yeah. And I threw on some of that tungsten putty and it was just all the difference in the world. It's like 10 fish to his one. Really? And just he eventually put them on, just getting it down deep. Yeah. And you can fine tune it a little bit more too. You can fine tune it. Yeah. I like that. It doesn't nick your line too, like split shots do. That's right. 
and you can just get that in any fly shop or yeah you can get it at any fly shop i've pretty much seen it at everyone i've been to um okay. i guess another thing that i do that's sort of unconventional i'll tie streamers on jig heads a lot just oh, wow. like a bash jig essentially yeah. you know nicer ones than that like i'll use yeah. voodoo or, or wapsy jigs and uh okay i find that to be a huge difference too there was a point where I was tying things on sculpin helmets and they're a pain. And I'm like, why am I doing like, <laughs> why am I doing this? Why don't I just use a jig head and get it over with and just get, get the flies down where I need them to be. I have nothing to prove, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably wise. It's definitely working for you, man. Like I said, I watched that video and it was pretty amazing. So Thanks. I'm, I'm loving this. Uh, I'm just going to keep going down the list. Yeah. Okay? Keep going. Yeah. It's <laughs> a, a pretty right. cool platform. It's fun. Yeah. Okay. How about the away team? Yeah. So that's sort of what I look at the trout as, you know, they're, they're acclimated to their climate. They know, you know, they know everything that's going on. They know whenever something's out of place. So you're kind of going to their home field to play against them when you go to fish for them. So that's right. Something to be really mindful of, you know, don't, and I've done this so many times, you get so excited and you just run up to the hole and kind of blow it up. You're excited but I think stealth is like extremely important. And yeah, for sure. Their vision is insanely good. Like there's lots of literature out there. If you look into it, like how good a brown trout's vision is, is pretty crazy. They really? see like light refractions and mirrors under the water. And so they can see super good. So it's kind of where you want to wear your camo, your earth tones, just make like very light footfalls, keep low, watch your shadow. So it's kind of just being mindful that those trout really know, and you're especially always, in the small streams where they don't get pressured and they don't see a lot of people. If they see anything out of place, they take off. Right. They're spooked. I've definitely seen that happen to me more times than I can count. But, and the thing with about small streams too is it's just harder. I think sometimes it's harder to, because you can't cast, so you have to kind of get, you can't, well, not, oh, well, you can't cast. It's not that you can't cast, but it's harder to cast definitely with distance. So you seem like you have to get closer. Yeah. By the time you're closer, you know, now you're spooking them. So I do try to cast sometimes a little bit further out than I maybe seems normal or whatever, because I don't want to spook them too much with my body, but then I don't want to spook them with my, you know, casting either. So it's, yeah, that's super accurate. Yeah. You, you try to, as far as you think you could get away from casting, you, you have to do that. Just stay, stay yeah. away. Because and it's more of like a shot than a cast. Like you were saying, sometimes you have one little window to put this fly in to get it underneath of a log or into an undercut. Yeah. It's more of a shot, you know, you're going to lose a lot of flies doing it too. That's the other thing I found too. Uh, you got to get tactical and get in close with your fly. So you might not have to get super close with your body, but if that, if that fish is under that log or he's, uh, it's right there in that difficult to reach place. A lot of times, yeah, you got to get the fly. In yeah. There. If you put it right on him, it makes it so much better. I always yeah. think of it as if, you know, if you're sitting on your couch and you're a little bit hungry, you don't feel like getting up and making a meal, walking yeah. to your kitchen. But if someone walks up to you with a cheeseburger you know, or, or something, you're going to eat it. So. Yeah, I really more likely to eat it. I kind of always think of it that way with the fish too. It's when you put it right in front of their face, they're way more likely to eat it than you trying to make them chase. For sure. Yeah. Uh, trout or lazy. I put that in a blog post. Very lazy. It yeah. didn't go over well. I thought <laughs> I like, it's they are definitely lazy. Well, how could anyone disagree with this? But especially I, the big ones, they want to exert the least amount of energy they can to eat. Yeah. The article I wrote it for actually had, it wasn't about catching big fish. It was about, it. I, what, what motivated the article was that we were fishing a trico hatch and there's tons of flies out. So, you know, the fish is sitting there. He's only moving, you know, one inch. He's not going to move two inches yeah. for a trico because they're one inch. Over. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's super accurate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Now down the list here. Uh, success isn't measured in inches. Is that what we're talking about right now? Yeah. You, you know, I just try to always remember it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier too, where success isn't always even catching a fish. It's maybe learning something, just right. having a cool experience on the stream. I think that's something that I've seen happen to hunting. It's all about inches. I got a 200 inch buck, 180 inch buck, same with elk. I don't want to see that happen to fishing where every, you know, 20 right. inches is the benchmark, 24 inches. 
right. because every fish is just a treasure. You know, every wild trout is a treasure. And yeah, that's always something I try to keep focused on, even though I really enjoy chasing the big fish. It's just, yeah, I try not to lose sight of how awesome just the sport in general is. Yeah. For you, it seems also though, it's, it's, it's that chase though. That's the exciting part. Cause the big fish are harder to catch. Not even like the, they're the trophy themselves, but it's just the challenge, you know? Yeah. The challenge and just the ex- exploration. It's almost like the fish is just a bonus, you know, just getting out and exploring and watching your plans come together and yeah, just getting out and doing different things. That could be success too. You know, the fish is almost just like a bonus. Right. How about this, uh, Josh? You talk about biomass is the big trout killer. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, most of the places where I'm catching the the big numbers of large trout don't have a lot of fish. Very marginal water, like we were talking earlier with the um, AMD yeah. and the gray water, and even there's streams even here that have sewage going into them. Right. And they have wild trout, uh, but you only have a few trout surviving in there. Um, I call them niche spots. You have maybe just one spot where a spring seeps in, but the rest of the stream gets too warm in the summer, but you can have that one hole that can support a trout and he could get huge in there only being in there by himself or with one other trout. I was going to say, do you find that then when you do find these big fish that there's, there's just like one, there's just one fish in there and then do they move around or they just hang there for you? A lot of them, the males I find just kind of find a spot and they take it over and they kick every other trout out of it. Nice. And the females <laughs> I'll find are a little more nomadic. Like I'll catch them year after year. There's fish that I'm on like yeah. my fourth year in a row of catching them now. Yeah. And, and they're in the same exact hole. They ate the same fly that I threw to them. Right. But then, you know, you'll have one where you catch it two miles upstream from nice. where you caught it before. That's kind of fun. That's like a relationship you're building with, yeah. your, with your, with your yeah, there was one just sh- just to, uh, goes to show how how old a trout can be, and this is actually how I met one of my good friends. I've uh, found a small stream a few years back, and I caught a 25 inch female out of it, and she's just living like in a plunge pool. Basically, it's a small stream. There's one hole that's like 15 feet deep, <laughs> filled with boulders, so she has lots of places to hide. Yeah. So I hook her, and then I post her on social media, and. Um, uh, he's actually a spin fisherman. He he messages me and's like, "Wow, I caught that fish six years ago, and I have this big long history with it." So when he caught her, she six years ago she was twenty one inches, and when I caught her, she was twenty five inches. Wow! So that just goes to show how old these fish could be. Wow. Um, that's a cool story. Yeah, we ended up becoming good friends. I actually learned a lot from him. He's a fellow uh, small stream guy. Yeah, he wrote, a- if you look him up, he's on my Instagram. So he's really cool. It's one He's of the fishermen, yeah. It's one of the cool things about social media is things like that when that happens, you know. Yeah, there's like a dark side to it, but there's also an awesome side. You meet a lot of cool people and for sure. Network, share, I never would be talking to you, you know. Yeah. I never would be talking to you, which is, is yeah. awesome. I'm it's loving so it. Cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about checklist? I've got a checklist. I'm going down right now. What do you mean by checklist when you're talking about big trout? So it's sort of what we were talking about earlier, but just to reiterate on it, you know, I kind of have these factors that I'm looking for when I'm searching for a stream. Like, oh, okay. Does it get a lot of pressure? Does it have the structure, the cold water, um, access, things like that? Um, so okay. I'm trying to fair enough eliminate some of the the groundwork. You know, how do you find out if there is? Um... If the, if you think there is going to be cold water there with the elevation or you mentioned thermal refuge or how do you, how do you know ahead of time versus getting there and figuring it out? Or do you just have to go and figure it out? A lot of times it's going to figure it out, but you can look and uh, using the map, see if there's like spring seeping in, uh, like you said, higher elevation. Yeah. I'll look for streams that come out of a mountain that form out of a mountain in higher elevations. Cause you know, they should have a little bit colder of a water. Okay. Yeah. You see where that blue line starts and you're like, Oh, it starts way up here. Yeah. I'll trace them the whole way up. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to find the origin and even that's how you find a lot of small streams too. Cause you can get like a medium sized stream and your trout leave it for those small streams for thermal refuge. Cause okay. the big streams are going to be the ones that warm first. It seems. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. What about big food sources? Is that- yeah. 
that that's another leading factor that'd be on my checklist. So I'm looking for a stream that has like a good population of crayfish, large bait fish. Um, with the structure streams, you find a lot of mice, snakes, things like that. Like for them to get that big, they have to eat pretty big. All right, and that's I why find the streams that are real buggy. Yeah, I find the streams that are like real buggy. The fish don't grow as fast. Like we were talking about the history. There's like like Penn's Creek, for example. It's like pristine trout water. It's like Pennsylvania is known for all the good hatches and stuff. Yeah. Well, I've caught a trout there three years in a row, and he stayed 19 inches. So right. that's pretty much maxed out because he's not really necessarily getting that big food source. And with there being like a high biomass of trout there you have a lot of other mouths to feed in that stream too that's a good point do you so you are you do you ever put droppers on or are you just throwing the big fit the big flat no I, I put droppers on a lot that's something i'll do whenever uh i'm fishing more pressured streams i find that i catch a lot of bigger fish on small flies yeah like really small flies like your pertigons and your little midges size 18s and 20s because yeah that's a that's been my experience but i you know i haven't I've caught some big. I've caught some big fish on big dry flies in my life, but usually the big fish I've caught with nymphs, usually not always, but usually they're the small flies that I've. Yeah, I think it gets hard for them to discern if it's real or fake at that point. And plus, I think that they've seen it all. You know, you figure yeah. if it's in pressured water, they've been hooked on the the streamers and nymphs. Yeah. They've seen it all. Do they've you? All. So you're not a believer that, or what's your take on the idea that? the big fish, the big trout, they don't eat small flies. They only eating the big, is it, you know, I've heard that if you want to catch big fish, then you have to throw big flies, but you, you're no, saying you don't I think really that's think more that. situational. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest male that I've ever caught, I caught him on a size 20 green pertagon. Okay. So I threw streamers in that same pool so many times and he never took them in big nymphs. And just that time there was some caddis coming off. So I threw right. that little green nymph on and he took it. I think that's that was actually, Go ahead. No, go. I think that's my take on it too. I think that you are apt to catch big fish on big streamers. I mean, I know that happens. People go out and they streamer fish and catch big fish for sure. But yeah, I don't think sure. it means that you can't catch big fish on smaller flies. You know. Yeah, I think you're really limiting yourself if you're just being a streamer fisherman because there's so much more. There's so many days that are just bad for streamers and you're just going to be wasting time when you could be catching them on the nymphs. And I yeah. actually prefer to catch them on nymphs because with the streamers, you miss a lot of fish. And with that big hook, it's hard to get a good hook set. I was just learning this. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. just starting to get into streamer fishing more. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning that I have the hook set is a big deal. It's fun and exciting and it, it's a cool feeling. I think yeah. that's one of the addictive things about it is like, you know, oh man, you really, it's an aggressive take and you yeah. feel it, but there's not, it's harder. And I'm, it's harder for me to get a good hook set, I guess. Yeah. Especially using the mono line. You don't have a lot to grip there. So right. it's for me, I'd rather catch them on nymphs because you could get a good hook set on them and the hook seems to hold better, cool. but sometimes it's situationally good to use streamers. So I, I will. Okay. Uh, the rest of these things we've kind of talked about, we've talked about low pressure, meaning kind of getting away from other streams where there's more pressure, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then if you are fishing those streams, just try to do things differently than other people are. It seems like everyone kind of runs through a stream the same way. They walk up, they fish this hole. Um, or if you're floating, everyone kind of floats it the same way. Right. So try to like watch what everybody else is doing and then just don't do that. Yeah. Or Or like, yeah. I, yeah. If it looks like there's a trout in there and no, and it's almost impossible to get to, go there. I've done. guarantee there's yeah, that's where he's at. Like that's where the big ones at. I find that in the pressured streams a lot. They'll jam themselves on the opposite bank where everybody fishes. Like literally jam themselves against the bank. Yeah. And then I'll use actually I'll use an 11 foot rod a lot for places like that, and just wade out as far as I can and reach over and just wade out there. Pick them off. Yeah. You're just wading out as far as you can. Yep. Uh, that's a great way out there plug. Okay. Yep. So I, w- I meant to ask you this earlier then most people when they say, and I've got my take on this, so I'm excited to hear what you say, but most, a lot of people say I'm going to fish small streams with three weight or four weight. And because it helps me pack it in and out through foilage and casting is easier. And the 
biggest argument that I have that, that I would agree with probably is, well, it's more fun to fight small fish on a, uh, lighter weight rod, which I can buy that. But for, for you, you're not taking those rods in because you're not trying to catch smaller fish. Is that? Yeah, that's right. Those are all good valid points and they all have their own, their own things. You know, like you said, with fighting the fish, it's just really fun. Right. But to actually land the big fish, you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage there. Right. I oversize everything. I oversize my line. Right. I'm fishing most of the time, a nine and a half foot, six weight. Okay. So that way it's just short enough that I can, yeah, I can kind of maneuver it, kind of maneuver it, yeah. but I can also do my, my Euro nymphing. I can get a good drift with it, but I got that backbone to fight. I, I, I try to land them as fast as I can. Yeah. The longer that fish is on your line, your percentage of catching them drastically goes down. I'm learning that. I'm learning that, man. I'm learning that for sure. I have one fish that I'll never forget. I He was right next to the boat and almost about to net this fish and and then he took it and i i didn't i wasn't aggressive enough or i was kind of like playing it cool and he took off and we fought him another you know 10 minutes and i know he broke off eventually but they're good for that yeah i try to get him my main thing that i want to do is i want to get them in that first like 10 to 15 seconds of confusion right i know it sounds crazy to net that you can net a big fish that fast but I do it a lot. Like I, I really try to get them. Like when you hook them, a lot of times there's just a little state of confusion that they're in. Right. And I, I'll charge them. I'll, if I see it's a big fish, I'll run out and try to net them right away. Yes. If I want to. This is it, great. You know, another good factor to that too. What I do is uh, I use like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like the William and Joseph confluence pack, but it's got the chest pack and the backpack. Okay. No. So I'll take in uh, an Orvis, Gearkeeper net release. Have you ever seen this? They're really cool. They're a little. They have a little cable in them, and you could retract the net out. No, I mean I've I've seen the magnet thing with the bungee cord or the. It's the coil a similar cord. idea, but this is like more of a retractor. You know, sort of like where you would pull your forceps off of in the front yeah. of your vest. Something similar to that, but it's bigger. That's built for a net. So I'll zip tie my net to that, so the handle is right over my shoulder. Nice, like a like a samurai sword, you could say. You know. So it's easy access. So I'll hook the fish instantly. My net's right there. I can grab it and run out and try to net them. Dude, I want to go fishing with you. <laughs> Come sound- on out anytime. Yeah, it's fun. Here, here's your samurai sword. Here's your giant yeah. net. We're going over yeah, actually, there. <laughs> I actually just switched over to one of the um, fish pond nets with the longer handle, and it's really nice for that. Yeah. You kind of draw it, you know, and you're not thinking about it. You're not fumbling around for your net on your waist pack or something like that. Yep. I am doing all those things that you said that are yeah, not, pretty uh, awesome. Yeah, I do the, I got the shorter handle, uh, uh, fish pond net, which I really like. I love it. Uh, those nets are awesome. They're yeah. the way to go for me. Like yeah, pretty good. That bigger basket, you could fit a. I fit twenty five inch fish in there with room to spare. I think that's huge. You don't want a small net. Yeah, that's a huge mistake. You want to be able to put that fish in the basket and not have them. Yeah, it is a wide net, and I do like that. Yeah. And it's not it's not a cumbersome trudging through because I do hike around quite a bit when I am I, I just like moving around being on the river moving through things so I was worried that it was gonna yeah. stick on things but it's been pretty good uh, so far I had one thing I was gonna ask you um, that you brought up oh so with the with the big bigger rod that you're using do you find that that's an advantage a little bit too with a small stream. Cause this is my argument for why I, first of all, I just, I just have one rod. It works fine for me. I just got a new one. Uh, it's a five weight. I'm kind of wishing I would have got a six weight, but it's fine. Five weights fine. Yeah. You could get away. I fished a five weight for a long time. Yeah, It's it's fine. And I think whatever, five, six, they used to say five slash six and now. But, yeah. So, um, I like having nine foot rod on a small stream for reach for for just being able to heist not high stick but get get out more you know um yeah no that's absolutely true yeah and like you were saying before about wanting to make the longest cast possible yeah less line on the water less less problems with presentation yeah and you're gonna have your problems where you get tangled in trees and stuff like that but that's all part of the game you know yeah yeah i yeah I, i was gonna post something about that so all right cool um low pressure how about 
safety from predators. We talked about that a little bit just with cover. Yeah, yeah, looking for your overhangs and undercuts and log jams. Because for you figure that fish, the one that my friend caught, it, we seen it seven years apart, and it grew from twenty one to twenty five inches. So really, how old was that fish? It could have been seventeen, eighteen years old, you know, or, or older. So for it to live that long, it has to avoid eagles, otters, snakes, snapping turtles in Pennsylvania, other anglers. Right. Just take one guy in April to come and throw it on a stringer. Yeah. So you really, they really niche into a spot, you know, it has to have the cover. They have the advantages where people typically approach, they'll be able to see them, things like that. You so, know, sort of like you're a whitetail hunter. That's sort of how I learned that. Yeah. Just like you're hunting a buck, you know, he's going to position himself where he has all those advantages of finding that these big fish do the same thing. So let's go through the niche. We've talked about a lot of it, but the big stuff mm-hmm. is pressure, not too much pressure. You've got cover, like protection. Mm-hmm. You've got um, temperature, like cold water, the right kind of cold water. Yep. Um, you talked about uh, food sources. Bigger food sources, yeah. Something Bigger that they sources. eat that they can grow really fast and... What else? We've talked about a lot of them. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I think that covers pretty well. You know, overhang. I find overhanging branches are really good. That okay. keeps them clear of your uh, birds. sky predators, yeah. birds, and things like that. Yeah, and and plus that's a food source above them too. You figure that tree is going to be dropping bugs, and right? Even baby birds and stuff they've been known to eat. So they got a good food source there. It's somewhere they can just lay and be lazy and not really leave. Cool pressure, cover, cold water, big food source. Yep. Vegetation. Yeah, vegetation. Um, places that are hard to access. Yeah. Which, too, I mean, that's not always – people are willing to put in the work, I found. Yeah. You know, people will walk five miles to fish a stream. Uh, so I'm mostly trying to, like, outthink that. You know, you can outthink somebody. You can't out – I know I can't outwork them. There's there's people out there that are just – they're go-getters, you know. So I try to look for the little niches myself. Well, you sound like people a go-getter, too. Josh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, big trout like to own something and big trout don't care about your line size. I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they do. I, I find that you're not going to find them in a hole that's just kind of like blah, like it's just a drop off hole and there's nothing there. Like They kind of like to take over a log jam, um, a big boulder, some sort of real estate. Not yeah. Dirt. Beaver dams are another really good one. Beaver dams. I find a lot of big fish in a beaver dam. We have a lot of beavers in PA. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did find a place in uh, Southwest Utah where there's a beaver dam and I had a ton of, you know, there was hardly any fish in this stream. It was a small stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, right below this beaver dam, that's where I caught all my fish. And Yeah, they love them. They love them. There's a spot that I fished later in the summer this year, or should I say earlier in the summer before our waters warmed too much. Um, and I caught three 20 plus inch trout out of it within a 15 minute span. They were just all laying in there. Cool. The water, I noticed the water was a lot colder there. I know it could go either way with the beaver dam. I think there was a spring seeping in there. I know beaver dams could warm more in the summer than the rest of the stream can. Okay. Um, and with the line size thing, I mean, I've fished like Penn's Creek and Spring Creek that gets a hundred anglers a day run up through there in prime season and use three X and caught tons of fish and big fish. So yeah, that tells me that you don't have to, a lot of guys I see want to use five X and six X. I really don't think that you have to do that. If I'm fishing a stream where you have to use that, I'm not going to fish there for big trout because they will be too pressured. Right. That is a, that is a thing in Colorado. Uh, There's a lot of, that's very picky trout and they like the smaller tippet, smaller flies. And it's a struggle trying to, to land them because of that. It's nearly impossible unless you're using like a long three weight rod or something. It's super hard. Yeah. It's definitely tough. Uh, um, yeah. You're really putting the trout at an advantage with the five X. And I used to do that a lot and I was losing them. That's where I kind of just, said screw it and bought three X and never looked back. I use fluorocarbon a lot too. I think that's really important. I was just going to say, you think that makes a big difference too? It's supposed to be what, not as strong, but it is, but I guess you're making up for the strength with the size and the, yeah. 
your and it's really supposed to be i've done the experiment with the put it in a glass of water and you can't see one and the other yeah yeah the trout hunter i found so far to be the best for me personally okay. i'll use trout hunter 3x it comes in a little bit bigger of a spool okay but i've really muscled fish with it and it doesn't break cool i think that's really important you have to be in control when you're fishing for the bigger fish anyways you have to be in control of them if you let them get downstream of you or something, you're done. Or you let them get into their hideout, you're done. What happens, yeah, I mean, with a small stream like that, and they've got this little area or this little real estate, their little niche that we talked about. Now, let's say you don't land that fish right away. Do they, are they less likely to move downstream because it's so shallow? A lot of times you're a small stream, especially some of the pictures I saw on your uh, YouTube movie, I mean, I don't know that they could travel very far up and down stream to, to, I mean, I'm sure they can when the water levels change, but you know, how aggressive are they with moving away from that pool or that area? Though mainly when you hook them, if if you catch them out of their hiding spot, like I say, catching them in the kitchen, if you catch them in the kitchen, they're instantly going to run to their, when they get through that little state of confusion of what happened, they're going to run to their hideout as fast as they can. So what I'll try to do is cut them off. Yeah. If I see that there's an under, I'll almost pre-plan that, you know, if I see that there's an undercut there and I know, I know I have to get there before they do try to blockade them or net them when they're trying to get into it. It's tough. Yeah. That's a blog post of mine in the the making, uh, have a plan to land the trout of the, the trout of your life every time. Yeah. Cause I've, yeah, yeah. You should have a plan, like a contingency plan at all times. I try to have one. (laughs) You got to pretend like you're going to hook one on every cast and you got to have those steps already pre-planned or you're in trouble. Uh, I've been fishing before and thought to myself, if I catch a fish, I'm all proud of myself. Like, Oh, this is great. I'm in a perfect spot. This looks awesome. I know there's fish in here or I see a fish a lot of times. And then I all of a sudden realize if you catch a fish, Jason, there's no way you're going to land this fish without breaking your neck. You know? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. You could get into some dangerous spots too. Even in those small streams, you have like a strong current that's going into a log jam or something. Yeah. You don't want to be in there. No. Or fall off a boulder trying to shimmy down to get. Especially in the big river. That's when it could get really dangerous. But those fish, they, it's hard to net them in that initial run. Yeah. Cause I do fish some bigger rivers too. I have a few tailwaters not far from here. Yeah. The Okagani river. Those fish are on another level with fighting. Yeah. You have to chase them. You have to try to keep them parallel to you. Like 10 and 2 with the casting, you want to keep that fish between 10 and 2 of you. Yes. If you let it get downstream or you let 100 yards of line get out, there's so much that could go wrong. Yeah, I'm finding that. that you know, I was asking, I'm finding that through uh, just through anecdotal evidence. But the more I talk mm-hmm. to people that fish more than me, the more they say that, that you need to get moving, you know, you run. Yeah. Like I've been running as fast as I can before and and just in picking up line as fast as you can in that meantime too, you don't want slack. So you're running and reeling as fast as you can. You probably look like an idiot to somebody like like the bike trail. There's people like looking at me, like what's this guy doing? But meanwhile, I'm trying to land a, land a big trout. The last person I had on the podcast, uh, (laughs) Betha Cochran, she's up in Colorado She's, okay, yeah, I follow her online, yeah. Yeah, she's she's pregnant, and she's telling me about this. She's like, oh, yeah, you got to get moving. You got to get, you know, the other day I was, and I realized, wait a minute, you're talking about the other week, right? She's like, oh, yeah, you know, doing this and that. I'm like, That's awesome. That's some dedication not, there. Yeah, 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 you love to see it. That's Hardcore. awesome. Um, anyway. But, yeah, it's true. Yeah, you have to uh, get moving. You have to chase them. But on the small streams, like what you're talking about, they don't have as much room to maneuver. So they just get into that really tight, hard to get to spot. And that's equally dangerous for not landing it. Yeah. There, there's a fish in uh, central, northern central PA that I've lost five different times. Yeah. He lives in a hole that's a log jam and he has every advantage. I just keep trying to catch him. And the last time I came the closest, I just tried to muscle him. I hooked him and I just tried to pull him out like a bass fisherman would just rip him right out of the stream. Yeah. I came close to netting him. I had him on my net and he rolled out of it and got around logs and snapped me off. But uh, I guess that's what keeps you going back. Yeah. That's frustrating. What about this statement? Why is, re- why is repeatable? Don't ask where. Yeah. So like most common question I probably get when people are trying to learn 
what to do to catch big fish is where. Where did you go? Where'd you yeah, where from? did you go? If you know, I could tell you, but if you go there not knowing all these factors that we're just talking about, you're probably gonna get you're probably just gonna spook the fish and get skunked and get frustrated. Right. So whereas I find it more important to learn why. That's where I kind of learned all this stuff, like hooking big fish and then like tracing the, what happened back, like and that, like um, analyzing it, like why did I catch this fish? What are the factors? And then you start to see it repeat itself. And I find that just to be super valuable if you're just getting into this type of thing. Instead of asking people where, ask them why. Because I'm, you could find big fish anywhere. There's 30-some different streams that I fish and I catch them in. Um, I know my friend even more so all over the state areas where people say that there's no big fish, they're there. So it's just, I think a matter of maybe more so approaching people and asking them the hows, like, how do you do this? What should I use? Why do you do that? Why do you do this? Yeah. I find that to be a lot more of a factor than where, where is easy. Yeah. You can find fish easily. Well, now a lot of people know a lot more people know why you do what you do. So that's, I really appreciate you sharing all this information. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to raise the collective consciousness a little bit and For sure. get some information out there. Before we change topics uh, or, or move on, is there anything else that you want to talk about with, uh, I've, I'm down the checklist. I tried to skip over things that we have already covered a little bit, but uh, floor is yours. If you want to talk about anything else about, about that. Yeah, I think we're covering the baseless. Basically, all this stuff kind of repeats itself. It's all sort of cool, just the same things. So, um, all right. Um, how can people find out more about you? So I'm mostly just on Instagram, and my account on there is just trout.stew. Nice and simple. Okay. Um, I have a link, like you said. I made. I just made one YouTube video. I plan on doing more of that in the future. Yeah. When time allows, I have the equipment to do it, just not the means of time. I understand. I'd like to maybe do some more blogging again in the future here, but you should yeah, just Instagram. Shoot me a message. If you have any questions or want to talk or cool. anything like that, I'm open. So, um, you don't guide or anything like that. Is that no. Right? Yeah. No, it's something that I think that I could get into in the future, but I understand. Um, so no other projects or anything you want to bring up. Is there anything else that you want to mention or bring awareness to? I always like to ask people if there's something that you want to, to talk about i would just say just find what you like about fly fishing and enjoy that you know it doesn't have to be about big fish or it doesn't have to be about fitting in with the scene i think fly fishing has something to offer for everybody and i think it's just a matter of finding what that is and also be respectful of the journey that other anglers are on you know you may have been fly fishing for 30 years and something that seems like common etiquette to you might be something that another angler hasn't learned yet so I think be patient with new anglers. Just kind of find what you like about the sport and don't get angry at other anglers, you know, be more constructive and lead by example. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. I think about that all the time, especially with my journey yeah. and then just other people. And it, it's sort of, it, it turns people off some too, you know, and just people don't know what they don't know. And maybe they don't know, you know, there's a difference yeah. between making a mistake and committing a crime, you know, like if, or not even a crime, but, you know, doing something willfully wrong and making a mistake. Like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know it's done that way. So, yeah, I think, it. you know, I see it a lot. I think it's actually a problem with fly fishing It's becoming a problem with new with uh, new anglers, a lot of new anglers getting into the sport. I think, you know, I'm seeing a lot of older anglers kind of get mad at that. And I've even got a lot of hate over catching big fish and stuff. So yeah. something that I've realized coming up through the sport being a new angler you get mad at you for catching big fish oh yeah 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 i've got some hate mail and stuff just because you're not supposed so, to catch them or what i don't get it yeah i guess it's just you know i don't know deeper issues than fly fishing so yeah. <laughs> if you get if you see somebody having success and you get mad about it maybe you should be in therapy and not on the river but <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that all so right, all right be Fair more enough. constructive and kind of maybe more so just lead by example Constructive criticism is good. Bashing is not. So I understand. That's something that I like to preach a lot. Okay. Last question. You ready? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So because you do target big trout out there and um, you're passionate about it, which is cool, I wanted to ask you if you had to choose between a day on the Madison River catching 
I don't know, 16, 18 inch trout all day long, uh, or a secluded stream in Pennsylvania in the rain, muddy water, but it's one big monster fish and you find his hole and you do it all right. Which would it be and why? I think my heart would be on the small stream, but I think I would choose the Madison just because it would be an awesome experience. <laughs> I would say the I same thing. Small, you know, I could fish these small streams anytime. My heart would be there yeah. knowing that it was the prime time to catch that fish. Yeah. But I think I would have to choose the adventure. I think it's all about the adventure. I was laughing when I was writing this question because I'm like, I know what I would. I mean, I know what I'm, I would, I'm supposed to say. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, you know, it's the challenge and it's the hard work mm-hmm. and it would pay off, but yeah, I probably would go to the Madison too. And yeah, just for yeah. the experience, just for the beauty <laughs> and the experience. So cool, man. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Josh, and uh, this has been great and you definitely brought a lot of value to a lot of people. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It was a good time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. You can learn more about some of the topics we discussed in today's episode show notes. For more fly fishing ideas, stories, and artwork, check out my blog and online gallery at wadeoutthere.com. If you want to make Wade Out There a part of your own fly fishing journey, please subscribe and share. Until next time, Wade Out There.